Our meditation is taken from Hebrews, uh, not Hebrews, Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. During the communion services for the next little while, we're looking at the entrance of each of the churches that was addressed in the book of Revelation. As I've said before, each of the expressions given expresses something <clears throat> of the nature, the attributes, and the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. And since this, the communion service is about him, we want to remember that this morning. Our text is taken this morning from Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 to 21. Revelation 2, 18 to 21. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write. John is being given the responsibility of writing. Write what is being said. Who is speaking? The Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this. I know your deeds and your love, your faith and service, and perseverance, and that, uh, that your deeds of late is greater than the first. But I have this against you, that you have tolerated the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. She teaches and leads my bond servants astray, so that they commit immorality, the eating of sacrifice things sacrifice to idols. May God be pleased to bless his word and our meditation upon it as we come to this part of the service. Lois and I were in Victoria, as I mentioned, and so I didn't have a lot of time to think about what was happening back here in the United States, especially with the convention going on in Cleveland, and I assure you that I am not talking about that at all this morning, or at any other time for that matter. Throughout the past week, voices were heard across the world from Cleveland. People talking, people interchanging with one another, people in the limelight, people in the shadows, and voices were heard, but all through the week, there was the anticipation of one voice. I think everyone who was in that arena waited to hear the one who was to give the last speech. And that voice was heard. And that voice was cheered. That voice was given the recognition of anticipation. We come to a text this morning when a voice is heard. A voice from heaven. It is the voice of the head of the church, not the head of a party. The voice of the one who created the universe. The voice of the one whose death we were celebrating. And he's speaking. And I wonder if we will give as much attention to him as those did in Cleveland listening to a man. 
it was not only him, but all over the world. Leaders from across the world are speaking at things that are happening and, and wondering if there is a voice that can actually put things together so we can hear. Taratira was a church that really existed. People like you and like me. In fact, it was a town perhaps not unlike Lebanon. It was a blue-collar town. A town that was run by what we might call the unions. We're not told how the church was founded there. But it was interesting to me that in that place, that, that secular place, that there was a church. And the church was known by Christ. So that when he's speaking from heaven, he identified that church as being in that location. He had something to say to that church. He had something he wanted the church to hear. And John, being in the spirit in the Lord's day, was told to write what he was seeing and what he was hearing so that John is not giving us his opinion about what is happening in heaven and what's happening on earth. John is telling us that Christ, who is now exalted at the right hand of God, is speaking from, from heaven to earth to the church. Each church in the book of Revelation is symbolic of churches that are extant today. So he's speaking to us, to Sodaville, and wherever the people of God are gathering this morning. And I want you to bear with me for a few moments to the speaker. Who is speaking and what is he saying? I want you to understand something. That the one that is speaking is not asking for permission to speak. He's speaking because he has the authority to speak. He has the right to speak. He has the ability to speak. And what he has to say will make the difference as to how the church will exist and how the church is performing in the midst of that secular society. He speaks as the self-conscious deity. He identifies himself as the Son of God, who on, on earth was called the Son of Man. The Son of Man speaks of his earthly ministry, his identification with the human race. But the Son of God speaks of his deity. The whole purpose for coming into the world as the Son of Man was to make known the existence and the authority and the rights of God to rule in the affairs of man, especially in general, but specifically in the church. And so, in that society, Jesus bypasses all the conferences. He bypasses all the, the communities of the elected officials, and there were those, and he speaks to the church. He speaks to his own. He speaks to those who were redeemed. He speaks to those who had been brought into the, into the family under the umbrella of salvation. 
And, and may I just say in passing that today, please listen, today the Bible speaks not so much to the culture as it speaks to the church. We spend our time trying to correct what's wrong in culture. And may I just say to you, friends, that from the fall of Adam and Eve, the culture has always been wrong. It has never been right. That is why we have politicians telling others what they will do, because the last set made a bungle of things. And when this one goes through and the next election comes, we'll go through the same thing. The other one, you know what I love about politicians, and it happened in Canada as well, please understand me. The politicians promise you certain things, and then they get into office, and they say, we, know, we didn't know things were that bad. I was going to give you the world, but the world is in a mess. And so you've got to wait until the next, the, the, other, the, the guy who went before me did it. <laughs> Let me exit out of that one quickly. But when Jesus speaks, Jesus does not speak, my friends, from a sense of disappointment or failure or inability. He speaks with absolute knowledge of what he's talking about. And he begins by telling us something about himself. On earth, in the middle of a storm, the disciples needed to know Lord, if it is you, if it is you, in heaven, we need to hear the same one who speak on earth as the Son of Man speak to us as the Son of God. Because when he speaks to us as the Son of God, he speaks to us from the standpoint of what he desires for us, getting to know who he is, so that when he speaks, we can absolutely be confident that what he says is true. It's not make-believe. So he tells us, first of all, that he speaks with an awareness of his deity by calling himself Son. The designated designation of Son is not like my Son to me. It is not talking about someone who was born out of a, out of a communion between a husband and a wife. He's called the only begotten. The best illustration or definition of begotten is to be unique. Whenever something is unique, it means that there is nothing else like it. So when Jesus calls himself the Son of God, he's saying that there is no other Son anywhere in the universe or even in heaven. There is only one Son. And as son, he has come upon the earth to unveil to you and to me who the Father is. Who the Father is. As son, he, he lives and experiences and relates in a way that no other being in heaven or on earth can Relate. We shall see this in a minute. When Jesus was being interrogated by the high priest in Mark chapter 14, they made all kinds of accusation against Jesus. And the text tells us Jesus never answered a word. 
people were saying wrong things about him, saying he's made this statement when he did not, saying he said this when he did not say it, and he answered not a word. I call this the beauty of divine silence. Divine silence never answers to what is wrong. So silence is not always giving consent. Silence is giving fools enough rope to hang themselves. Then the high priest came. And the high priest said this to Jesus. Are you the son of the most high? Jesus said, yes, I am. See, he answered. He answered truth, not error. And he answered to the fact that he is son. What do we mean when we say that Jesus is the son? When we say, I am a child of God. Christopher is my son. Does it mean that Christopher is to me and I am to Christopher, what Jesus is to God, and God is, no, friends, it's a world of difference. Look at, look at the second phrase, the, the awesomeness of his deity. He is the son of God. That preposition of means that he is not only existing as a separate entity, but he is a part of what we call the Trinity because he is of God. He, he resides from all eternity. He resides in that atmosphere of Father, Son, Spirit. When we say that Jesus is the Son of God, we're not saying that God produced Jesus in some unearthly way in heaven. He exists as God. Our minds are, are, are trying to comprehend what is meant when we say that there is three God but one person, we are talking about essence. Whatever makes God God is the same thing that made Jesus Christ God. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. He is the Son of God. He, belong, he belongs to a community that transcends human mind. So that the poet wrote this, The higher mysteries of thy fame, the creature grasp transcends. The Father only knows this name of Son. Only the Father knows what Son means. Only the Father can comprehend that you and I can't. You and I can't. And this is what I want you to see this morning. That when we come to the table, we come to comprehend the incomprehensible. When we come to the table, we come to lift our minds from all the tragedies and the pains and the trials of this life, and we place our confidence and our time and our minds upon someone who transcends everything and knows everything from a perfect knowledge. On earth, he is introduced as the Lamb. From heaven, He's introduced as the Son of God. Because Mary simply homed Jesus for nine months, but Mary did not conceive Jesus. The Holy Spirit did. He is the Son of God. He belongs to a, a sphere that is beyond you and me. Dear friends, please listen. 
one of these days, when Jesus was, was leaving earth, he prayed, Father, I will that those whom you have given me be with me where I am. One of these days, the Son is going to take all believers to where the Father is, and we will behold what now we know only by faith. That's our hope. That's our hope. But until then, the Son has something to say to the church, not to the community. The church speaks to the community, not the Father, not the Son. The Son speaks to the church. That's why he identified this church. To the church in Tyre, Tyre, God has something to say to you. The Son of God. On earth, the Son of Man is the Lamb. But from heaven, he's the Lion. Many times when we think of Jesus, we tend to think of him in terms of that gentle gentleman, in fact, there's one person who says, Jesus is a gentleman. I never use such terms for him. Anybody can be a gentleman if he puts his mind to it. And in this world in which we're living, you can't even be a gentleman at times. I tried it once. I did. I did something which I thought was a gentleman thing to do, and the lady said to me, do you mind? I said, Sorry. Never tried it since. <laughs> a gentleman is someone, my friends, who might exercise his kindness in a certain situation. Jesus is more than a man now. He's the glorified man who came to us. He stripped himself of his godness in heaven and walked on earth. He went back to heaven to his godness. And now he, he is at the right hand of the majesty and I, and from there he speaks to the church. And the church needs a voice that is more powerful, more authoritative than the voice of any human being, including mine. The church needs to hear the voice of the one who died for it. This is why we remember the communion once a month. Look at the self-characterization of deity here. It's almost frightening. Verse 18, this second part of it. He has eyes like the flame of fire. That's almost frightening, isn't it? He has eyes like a flame of fire. See, Jesus said when he was the night of the communion, when he established it, do this in remembrance of me. And this is how we are to remember him now. At the cross, he gave his life. At the right hand of God, he speaks with authority. And he has eyes that are penetrating. Jesus is seeing the church in Tyre, and he's seeing what is happening in the church. Somehow, the church has allowed itself to be catered to so that it is losing itself with who Jesus is. It's beginning to listen to other voices. It is beginning to responding to other voices. And he says, write this. The one who has eyes like a flame of fire. I, I watched almost daily and nightly while the fire had been burning in Fort McMurray in northern Alberta since I have been there. 
fire was resentless. Anything that came in its path, fire burned. And of course, the same thing happened in California and in other places as well. When Jesus said he has lives like a flame of fire, it means this, friends, that he is able to see anything that is wrong in the church. And when the church begins to deal with Jesus Christ, not as a Santa Claus that gives the church whatever it wants, but as the one who has the right to say how it is to behave, how it is to act, then we will understand what it means when he said he has eyes like a flame of fire because he's going to burn anything that is unholy in his presence. There's some terrible things that have gone on in the church. Church fights. Church splitting over the collar of the rugs. And that's no joke. Church splits because of personal personalities in the church. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the good and the evil. And if the church in Tyratyra and the church in Sodoville would recognize that if there's anything unholy going on, God, the Son, sees that. That should make a difference in the way we behave, shouldn't it? If we have the consciousness that his eyes sees, no matter where, no matter how, no matter why, his eyes is like a penetrating fire that goes and, and anything that is in its, its pathway that is not right. So what was wrong with the church in Tyra? Quickly. You know, in this day, I have to be so careful tell you a very interesting story just for a minute. There was a visitor with us the other day. And that Sunday I was speaking on uh, certain things having to do with the church. And it happened to, 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 there had to be some communication about what's happening in the world, especially in, in politics. And you know, if you know me, I don't get into politics at all. But I happen to say it. And this person was visiting and all of a sudden the thought came to me, I wonder if she was here as a spy. I started to think, I said some things that could get me in trouble. <laughs> I'm still here, so I guess it's all right. <laughs> By that I mean, listen, listen. I am, I am telling you what the scriptures say, okay? I am not telling you my opinion here. This is what the Bible says. I want you to, I want you to hear it for yourself. Look again in Revelation chapter 2. Verse 19, he commends the church for the good things that the church is doing. I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service. My friends, not very many churches can have that kind of a commendation. Your perseverance and your deeds are growing. But look at verse 20, but I have this against you that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bondservant astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. 
listen, put in, in a few words, this is it. They are tolerating, they're putting together the teachings that come from outside beside the teaching that come in the church and see how the church can accommodate it. And this, Jesus said, you are tolerating, you are tolerating immorality in the church. This is what Jesus said. Now, I don't know that that is going on in this church. But Jesus said in, in Thyatira, it was going on. And his eyes, his eyes saw that. And I'm suggesting to you that what, what he saw there, he will not condemn in the world and condone in the church. She was self-appointed. She calls herself. She, she, she was authoritative. She listened to nobody else. She elevated herself. Your pride in your church is lamentable, J.B. Phillips put it. Listen, please listen. Here is something ironic. A little bit of righteousness in a church will not affect evil. But a little bit of evil in a church will affect righteousness. This is what Jesus is saying. He might be pleased on the one hand with what we are doing. But he's displeased on the other hand with what we are allowing. And my friends, the church of Jesus Christ has come to the place where there is almost no difference between what's out there and what's in here. We remember him this morning. And we remember him by seeking to line our lives in communion and connection with him so that his eyes determines what goes on and what does not go on in the church. This is the character of deity. He's aware of it. Immorality. I'm reminded, I'm reminded of Peter in Luke 22. Peter denied the Lord three times. And Luke 22 says, as Peter was walking out, he turned around and the Lord saw him and Peter went out and wept bitterly. The penetrating eyes of the crucified Christ penetrated Peter's heart and conscience that here is a man, here is a strong fisherman. Here's a man who has the ability to stand up and say, I don't know him, and to use words that are inconsistent with his own communion. And when Jesus turned and saw Peter, Peter was pricked within him. You see, my friends, a church that is controlled by the culture will never be concerned about what's right or wrong, but what works. When we realize, my friends, that God never uses wrong to make right. Wrong may happen, but he will work through it, but not with it. 
For there is nothing in God that welcomes what is wrong. Those penetrating eyes have only one purpose, and that is to remove sin from the church. When we remember him, we seek to live that way. Lastly, and very briefly, I want you to see what I call his prudent jurisdiction. And his feet are like bronze, bronze, burnished bronze. Scholars have a difficult time with this. What it is, simply this, friends. The way in which his feet are described, bronze in the Bible always speaks of judgment. And we read in 1 Peter, the time has come for judgment to begin where? In the church. You know, 9-11, I was still in Toronto. In 9-11, I heard preachers got on the television and just said, God is judging America. I wanted to run and hide. I'll tell you why, why that, because my friends, nowhere in the Bible does God start with the culture. He always starts with the church. Judgment. Oh, he is a lamb who died for our sins, but he is the lion that judges sins that continue in the church in my life and in yours. And so we constantly want to constantly live in communion with him so that he removes from our, with his eyes, he disperses evil from our lives, from our church, so that the church becomes the light that is set on a hill that the culture cannot, cannot just ignore but they see beauty, they see, they see humility, they see love, they see grace, they see peace. They see within the church that which the politicians cannot provide. And the world longs for that because it is nowhere to be found there. It can only be found here. Jesus speaks to the church. He wants us to remember him this morning. Not what will happen if there's a spy in the church that you keep your mouth from saying what the Bible says. And that is not far-fetched, friends. I'm sorry to say that in my own country of Canada, that preachers have to be careful lest they say that which could rip them of their license. Some have even been taken to trial right over in Canada. And I'm not a prophet nor the son of one. But my friends, when God comes to judge the church, one of the biggest churches in the Pacific Northwest existed two years ago. Today it is gone. Because in, in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 5, we are told, if you do not repent, I will come and remove your candlestick. The right the absolute right of Jesus Christ to say, you're no longer useful to me. Let it never be said that when he looks at Soderville Church, that his eyes will keep us from everything that he despises. That his feet will remove anything that is an abomination to him. And that we will be faithful to him who speaks to the church. Let the world hear the politicians, but let the church listens to Christ. Let us pray. Remember me, said Jesus. And he did not let the church in Tyre forget who he was. He is the Son of God. 
And let us at Sodaville not forget who you are. You are the Son of God. You have the final word to the church. You have the only word that the church needs to live by. Give us the grace to respond when you speak from your word. When you speak in judgment, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.